as we walk this journey through this season, this very odd, strange season in our lives as the church, the people of God, and a world that is hurting and broken, it is not surprising to me at all that the lessons from our lectionary, like all scripture, uh, speak to our situation and are so helpful in ways that maybe they weren't before. Maybe there's a way in which passages about illness in the life of the the people of God has a a particularly meaningful, poignant moment, just like breathe on me, uh, breath of God has a new meaning for all of us. I'm uh, reminded and remind you of last week we talked about, or actually we read the account of the blind man, the the man that was born blind, um, his illness Jesus healed. This week, again, the focus is on illness, but not just illness, but illness and death, and how timely can that be? Philip Yancey, years ago, wrote a book where he talked about where is God in the midst of suffering and pain, and he followed that book up most recently, about five or seven years ago, with a book called The Question That Never Goes Away. And Yancey makes the point that the biblical writers have always asked the very same question that we as modern people ask, which is, why does God allow suffering? I recently finished a book by a woman by the name of Rebecca McLaughlin, and Rebecca actually ups the ante. She not only asked that question, but asked the question, why does God allow so much suffering? And I think that's a question that is on the hearts of all of us as we listen to the news, and we hear about those that are sick and ill and even some that have died from the COVID virus. This morning, I want to look with you at this timely passage from John chapter 11 and the the miracle of the raising of Lazarus, but not simply just to admire the miracle of the raising of Lazarus, but to understand through it God's purpose and will for suffering in our lives. The first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus has a purpose in Lazarus' suffering and illness. Verse 4 makes that very clear, which is why I extended the reading so that you'd be able to read that. When he is told by Mary and Martha who send word that that Lazarus is sick, Jesus says to his disciples, uh, this is not an illness that will end in death but that it will be a glory to God, that the Son of Man will be glorified through it. Jesus has a purpose in Lazarus' illness and even in his death. Even though we know, just a couple of verses, that in fact Lazarus will die. We're told that Jesus spends two more days away from Lazarus before he actually goes to be with uh, Mary and Martha Uh, in the town of Bethany. This does not look at all like love, does it? I mean, why would Jesus delay? We're told he loves Lazarus, he loves Mary and Martha, and yet he delays two days. There are times where God does not seem as if he is acting in a loving way towards us. But we must take passages like John 11 to realize that, in fact, God is loving to us, even when it doesn't look like it, as is the case here. It's an opportunity for Mary and Martha and the disciples and for even the crowd that is with Mary and Martha in Bethany 
to step closer to Jesus, to move closer to him, even though they don't understand why he acts the way he does. The disciples are as clueless as ever. It must have been no dull moments for Jesus with these disciples. He is talking to them and is talking metaphorically about Lazarus having fallen asleep. And they begin to assume that, well, Jesus knows all things. He, he knows that Lazarus is sleeping. But, but why would they go? Because if Jesus is, it knows he's sleeping, he's going to get better. And Jesus has to lay the whole thing out for him. I'm not talking about sleeping. I'm talking about death. Jesus knows that Lazarus will die in that period of time that he has waited to go and be with him. Jesus that had just two chapters back healed the blind man and had performed miracles throughout the Gospels waits. Pain and suffering does not mean that the Lord does not love us. We need to look no further than the cross. Jesus crying out in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And yet we know Jesus was not spared of his suffering and death. Paul prays that God would take away the thorn in his flesh in 2 Corinthians, and yet we're told that the Lord says, I will not take it away. My, my power will be made perfect in weakness. Jesus has a purpose in Lazarus' illness and his death. If there's a message that we need to, to grapple with during this season as we interact with people who are asking all sorts of questions, if there is a God, why would he let suffering happen? We have an answer. Not a perfect answer. We don't completely understand, but we know that the Lord is working in that suffering. He has a purpose in it. Now, having said that, I want to make the second point, which is that Jesus is in no way callous to the pain and suffering of Mary and Martha as he goes to be with them. And I realize I'm taking the story a little bit out of context, but I, I think it's important to make this point here because this is not as if God is standing afar and is, has another reason, and so he's willing to let people suffer for his own selfish purposes. Jesus goes to be with Mary and Martha. He enters into his pain. Our Lord Jesus Christ took humanity upon himself. He suffers with us. He is not a, a callous and, and standing off from us. He enters into the pain. And we are told in that most short of verses, verse 35, Jesus wept. If you don't think you can memorize scripture, you can memorize John eleven thirty-five. Jesus wept. There you go. You've got a scripture memory. We're told by Isaiah in his prophecy about the Messiah in chapter 53, verse 3. He bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Jesus went and he wept and he grieved with Mary and Martha in the midst of their pain and suffering. And this becomes a model for us as we, as Christians, grieve and, and mourn at the loss, the death of a loved one. It's okay to grieve. Jesus grieved. He wept. But he didn't wail. He didn't grieve as those without hope. He wept and he grieved the loss of the relationship, the distance created by physical death. But he didn't, he didn't wail as those who had no hope. But he entered into the pain and suffering that Mary and Martha were suffering. 
He was with them. Now later on it says that Jesus was moved in his spirit as he saw Mary and the crowd with her weeping and crying. And my Old Testament professor, excuse me, my New Testament professor, Rod Whitaker, says that, that in that moment the Greek words are not so much sorrow and weeping as they are anger. Is Jesus angry at Mary and the crowd for weeping and mourning? No, he's not, he's not angry at them at all. He's, he's angry at death. He's angry that this is the state of humanity. That because of sin and brokenness in our world, that we have to suffer pain and loss and go through these things. He is angry. And I, I love what, what John Calvin says about this. John Calvin said in his commentaries, he says, Jesus does not approach the sepulcher, the, the tomb, as a, a man mourning, but as a wrestler ready for battle. And the opponent that Jesus, Jesus who is the life, has come to battle, is the opponent is death itself as he squares off at the tomb. I love that. So if God has a purpose in our suffering and pain, Jesus has a purpose for Lazarus' illness and death, and yet is sympathetic and comes to Mary and Martha and enters into their pain and weeping, what then can we say that, well, simply this, that Jesus realizes the most important thing that Mary and Martha and even Lazarus need, and that is himself. Again, I know I'm kind of out of order, but going back to the part of the story where Martha encounters Jesus, comes out to be with Jesus out on the roadside as he enters into, um, we, we see Martha interact with Jesus in a not so pleasant way. She's disappointed that Jesus has not come to be with her brother and to heal him. It's very interesting because at the beginning of the story, we're told that, that Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that the one you love is ill. They don't say, come and heal him. They don't say, come quickly. They simply submit to Jesus the need, which I think is a model for us as we pray for people. We lift up needs to the Lord, and we ask the Lord in humility to do his will, to bring about his will in their lives. But now that that. Lazarus has died, we find that both Martha and Mary have the same, it's not a rebuke, but it's definitely a doubt. He's definitely lost something in their eyes because he waited and he didn't come quickly. And Lazarus has died. And they're suffering all this pain and hurt and loss. And remember, for a first century woman who was unmarried, a a living brother was not just a relationship that she would miss, but also financial security, social status. Mary and Martha had everything to lose by Lazarus' death. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But notice, even in this exchange with Martha and Jesus, that Martha begins to move towards Jesus and begins to believe things. As she begins, she says, Lord, but even now I know that 
God listens to you and that if you ask anything, he will do it. As if Jesus is some sort of intermediary, as if he's a, 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 just a holy man who can make confessions to God. We know the Old Testament says that, that God hears the prayers of a righteous man. So perhaps she's just simply thinking that Jesus is a, a righteous man. But as she moves on through the story, she comes to a greater revelation, which again is part of Jesus' purpose in this suffering in this pain, in this death. Jesus says, what you need, Martha, is me. You need me. And he speaks that to her by reminding her of these amazing words. I am the resurrection and I am the life. Like most first century Jews, Martha believed that at the end of the time that God would raise up the righteous people, that there would be a resurrection of the dead. Um, sort of in the same vein as Ezekiel chapter 37 that, that Andrew read to us a little while ago. But, but Jesus makes it clear that I am the resurrection. He says, I am the one who brings the dead to life. Years ago, the company GE had the expression, we bring good things to life. Well, not to be not to be coy, but if Jesus had a theme, it would be, I bring dead things to life. That is who I am. I am the resurrection. But Jesus doesn't simply say that he's the resurrection. He says he's not just the one who brings the dead to life. He, in fact, is life himself. And this is ultimately what Mary and Martha and the disciples and even Lazarus and even us need to understand. We need this life. This is the heart of the gospel, that God, who brings the dead to life, is life himself. And to have his life in us is to have something that even physical death cannot take away. That we cannot be separated from this life that is in Christ. That is the heart of the gospel. And as Martha hears that, her response is, when he says, do you believe this, Martha? And he says it to each of us is, do you believe this, Martha? Yes, I believe. I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, in other words, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Do you see the way Martha has moved to Jesus? Does Martha perfectly understand every piece of theology in the Nicene Creed? Of course not. Not fully yet. But the knowledge that Martha has, she acts on, and she moves towards Jesus in relationship. And that is what God requires of each of us. To the extent that we have knowledge about who Jesus is, to move towards him in relationship, to believe in him, to put our trust in him, is what is required. Jesus says, I am worth the pain and the suffering that you're going through. What a, what a claim. I am worth all the pain and all the suffering and all the struggle that you have to live with. If you allow them to bring you to me. This is the claim that Jesus makes when he says that I am the resurrection and the life I want to read a quote really quickly before I end from that same lady, Rebecca McLaughlin, who's written a book 
It's actually entitled Confronting Christianity, 12 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion. And I, I do recommend it to you. On page 206 in the book, Rebecca talks about this pain and suffering. As a matter of fact, she's been talking about the story of Lazarus in her book. She says, my eight-year-old daughter is an avid reader and an aspiring writer. Her vocabulary is broad, her imagination is wild, but her stories are dull. Why? Because she strives for happiness throughout. And if any of us have read a eight-year-old's work, we know that, right? It's all fairy tale happy endings without any, any evil witches and bad things, right? Rebecca goes on, without suffering, her characters cannot develop. Without fellowship and suffering, they cannot truly bond. The Bible begins and ends with happiness, but the meat of the story is raw. Christians are promised that one day God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. But we are not promised that God will not allow us to cry in the first place. What end could possibly be worth all this pain, she says. Jesus says that he is. Friends, this morning as we walk through uncharted territory and we hear the news and we pray and intercede for those that we know or our families know, colleagues, co-workers that are suffering with this horrible virus, we do not grieve and mourn and wail like those without hope. Because we know that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. As great a miracle as it is that Lazarus is called back forth from the grave, and it is an incredible thing. It's a foreshadowing of Christ's own resurrection. Uh, it Don't lose the sense that, that Lazarus has been dead four days, which means the body has begun to decay. And for a long time, I heard this passage, and I, I thought, well, Jesus just simply resuscitated Lazarus. But after four days, the scriptures say that he began to decay. And so there is a restoration of Lazarus' body. One commentator I read said that, that Jesus had to say, Lazarus, come forth, because if he simply said, come forth, all the dead would have risen from the, from the graves and walked out, restored. But Lazarus was still subject to physical death. As a matter of fact, we'll learn in chapter 12 that, that those who were plotting to kill Jesus also wanted to kill Lazarus again because he presented an even greater threat to them. Got my tongue tied there. The greatest miracle in this story is not that Lazarus comes from the grave, but that Jesus, the life, reveals himself to Mary and Martha, to Lazarus, to the crowds, and to us. Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection, who brings the dead to life. Dead in sin and dead in physical death, he brings the dead to life because he is life. In him is a life that cannot be taken by physical death. Suffering doesn't mean that God doesn't love him. 
love us. Suffering is one of the things that the Lord uses and works through to deepen our relationship with Him, to draw us to Him, to cause us to move towards Him and believe that even if it doesn't look like a loving thing, that the Lord has a purpose in all that He does to bring us to that glorious knowledge of the Son of God who is life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.